Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, I catch up with Ye and Sandy from Scroll. We check back in on the ZKEVM L2 project and find out how it's developed over the last year. We talk about the founding of a fully remote organization, the technical evolution of the project, the ecosystem, and more. A quick disclosure, I am, through the ZK Validator, an investor in the project, and it's been fun to learn about their progress. Now, before we kick off, I do want to direct you to the ZK Jobs Board. There you'll find jobs from top teams working in ZK. So if you're looking for your next job opportunity, be sure to check it out. And if you're a team looking to find great talent, be sure to add your jobs to the jobs board as well. I've added the link in the show notes. Now, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Ever feel like developing zero-knowledge proofs is a daunting task? Well, the team at Risk Zero is here to remind you that it doesn't have to be that way. Their out-of-the-box tooling allows developers to access the magic of ZK proofs from any chain without needing to learn custom languages or build custom ZK circuits. Bonsai, Risk Zero's most anticipated product, is a proving marketplace that enables any protocol or application to leverage fast ZK proofs in languages like Rust, Go, and C++. Visit r0.link forward slash ZK podcast to learn more and sign up for the Bonsai waitlist. You can also find the link in our show notes. And now, here's our episode. So today, I'm here with two of the co-founders of Scroll, Ye and Sandy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Anna. Very excited to be here. Yes, thanks for having us. Ye, you were on last year in, I think, June 2022. We did an interview with yourself and your third co-founder, Hai Chen. So that was like our introduction to the project on the show. And yeah, something that I'd like to do with this episode is definitely do a catch up. Before we do that, though, Ye, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ye. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Scroll. I work on ZK Research, uh, hardware acceleration for zero proof, some algorithm side and some application side. Nice. And Sandy, this is the first time uh, you're on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What got you interested in this space and kind of where was your sort of journey to scroll? Where did that start? Yeah, no, um, thanks for having me. Um, so my, my crypto journey started a long time ago, around 2013 and 14. That's when I first Whoa. read the Bitcoin white paper and, um, you know, had that aha moment and just been kind of researching and dabbling and socializing in the space. Um, I, my, my first kind of full-time crypto job started in about 2017 um, when I became a crypto investor full-time. And um, the journey for Scroll started um, when I was getting deeper and deeper into protocol level research. Mm. And, um, and it became very clear to me at the time that Ethereum was gaining traction, both as a, as a protocol and also on the social layer. There were just the, the amount of talent and creativity surrounding the main protocol was astonishing. And um, I, I kind of came to this realization that this was the future of the crypto space. And I wanted to see whether there are any kind of major open problems I could contribute to. And um, that's when I met Ye and Haichen. We met online and we didn't actually meet in person for the entire first year of working together on Scroll. And cool. yeah. <laughs> but you were not anons. You knew each, like you were yourselves, I guess. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, okay. Um, well, Ye couldn't have been an anon because when we <laughs> met, um, he had a paper pending publication on um, prover acceleration. And okay. um, that's how we originally found him. And and um, and and Haichen was working at Amazon at the time, um, you know, as a as a system architect, and he worked on a lot of the stuff that we're we're currently using for Scroll. Mm. This is actually interesting. The co-founding online. How like where were you chatting? How would you have like met and almost like vetted each other in just just online? Yeah, I think this 
with with every kind of meeting, there's always a little bit of serendipity involved. How does anyone mm-hmm. meet anyone in this day and age? So it starts with with an online conversation, and then there are some like offline connectivities and and personal relationships. And um, so initially, I was connected to Year through. Um, uh, through 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 one of his kind of um, one of our mutual friends, and um, you know started talking online for for a really long time, and then decided to kind of um, go for it. You know what was the scroll project at the time, like almost almost like very quickly, but it was a research project, and you know mm-hmm. and and then just you know it just kind of continued to snowball from there. Really, so I really liked that idea of like founding a company purely online where you don't, I mean, I guess it's like, what year was this that you were um, starting to look at this project? It was during the peak of COVID. So it was about 2021. And I think it's the same process for most of the people on the team. Um, I think there were, there there are at least half the people on the team whom we, none of the co-founders have met in person in the first, you know, and it's still very common for us to not meet someone in person until, you know, three or six months after they've been working with us. Um, we're, we're, we're very decentralized as a result of this kind of type of origin. And um, mm-hmm. we have members from every continent, apart from the Antarctica. And um, <laughs> so spanning yet. over. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. We'll see. <laughs> very yeah. keen on, you know, <laughs> taking nice. over that, that um, yeah, piece of ice. Um, but yes. Um, yeah. So, so essentially, um, I think that's part of our founding DNA. And, and that's resulted to, um, you know, scroll core contributors being, um, you know, all, all over the world, really. Cool. And you were, so you sort of mentioned that you were excited about Ethereum. This is like the project is kind of coming out of the Ethereum ecosystem, but like, what was, like, had there already been proposals for ZK EVMs at the time or things like Scroll that you were playing on or, you you know, kind of being inspired by? Um, I can talk about it from my perspective. I think there's already been a few um, L2s that are ongoing when we started. Um, Mm -hmm. We were inspired by um, a lot of years research and a lot of the research that were coming out of academia at the time. And um, we thought there was something that we could offer, both by means of outsourcing proofs offline and also this way of organizing a completely open source um, kind of um, effort. So maybe Ye can talk about his experience as well. Yeah, yeah. I think by the time when I started, as Sandy mentioned, there are several layer two efforts. But I think none of them are really building a like EVM bytecode level uh, ZK EVM. So some I think okay. the most the closest one is building a language compatible. But I think we are targeting a deeper level of compatibility, which means we will suffer mm-hmm. from a larger pooling overhead and uh, like much more engineering work. And uh, we we kind of make sure that we can through hardware accelerations through this crypto uh, like advanced crypto algorithms can make. Uh, the the efficiency become like order of magnitude uh, like better than before. So that's why we start this mm. and with the deepest level of compatibility. Had things like Jordi and the Hermes ZK EVM proposal already come out when you guys started? Or was it happening at the same time? Like I know that there was like the sort of I think, I don't know if Starkware proposed something, but it was like, I know ZK Sync had proposed something, but there was all these different types of ZKVMs. But I do wonder, was there anything like yours? Or was was your research kind of like really this new direction? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the very original story that uh, we start with something, our own version of like how we build a virtual machine, maybe the KVM or like the key virtual machine. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. we can make this really efficient through hardware. So that's our initial version. And then like I, I talked with Barry Whitehead at the Ethereum Foundation, and he's thinking thinking of exactly the same idea of building the KVM for Ethereum layer one. And I think our oh. idea overlap a lot for like why we think supporting a virtual machine is possible. And then, so our like collaborations start very organically, like with, with Barry and with, with Ethereum Foundation. And I think mm-hmm. uh, there are some nice ideas for using lookup tables to handle the virtual machine memory part uh, of the ZKVM. 
I think the same idea also inspired Jordi to start the KVM. Ah, so I think the, that's the kind of largest, how it comes from. Okay. Yes, yes, exactly. same original source, but like yes. kind of happening at yes. the same time. Yes, exactly. Cool. Yeah, actually, I should, you know, I, we will add a link to the previous episode. Um, what I wanted to actually do, at least with the first part of this, was do a little bit of a check in on some of the decisions that were kind of being discussed back then. Like, I wasn't sure if those were like finalized or if they were like still in the works or if things had maybe changed. So just a quick throwback a year ago when we talked about kind of what was the underlying ZK stuff, it was like Plonkish, Arithmetization and Halo 2. Is that still what Scroll is based on or has it brought in, I don't know, some like new techniques or other proving systems? Yeah, I think the tech, tech stack is still uh, like remain the same. Like we are still using Plonkish for writing our circuits and using KDG at the backend, using Halo 2 to write our circuits. But huge improvements have been made on the completeness, performance, and the robustness. So for example, on the circuit side, I think when we talk, we, we implement the majority of the circuits, but there will still be some circuit left. And uh, by now we have already implemented all the opcodes, all the error mm. cases, and they have already been sent to the auditors to, to audit. And on the prover side, I think we make extremely fast GPU implementation to make prover really fast. Um, and also we publish our paper. So I think by the time we talk, we only have one paper talking about how you mm -hmm. use FPG and ASIC to make prover faster. Now we have published another paper talking about how you use GPU to make prover faster. And also we've done a bunch of ZK research, reducing the memory consumption, and also the recursive Ooh. cost. So basically, uh, I think the day one where we are running our ZKVM, a full version, we require like one terabyte of CPU memory to run such a, a large uh -huh. gigantic circuit. But now we reduce that to only like hundreds of gigabytes and we are still keep, keep wow. improving on that. Um, and as for, as for the toolings, I think we are using some derivative of Halo 2, which is called Halo 2 CE. It's CE referred to a community edition. So it's a derivative version from the cache branch. Um, and we, mm. because this is make, we make many changes to this library. And also we want to, because it's aligned with our philosophy to always develop with the community and sharing all this like proving stack and all the toolings with the community. So uh, it's a community effort to own this proving stack. And we are leading some yeah, discussion yeah. to add more components into this library. I think a lot of projects are actually reusing the same proving stack. Uh, like people are contributing to that, even for some new like optimization from, from Fry. Uh, it's, it's totally different, but people are still implementing like Goldilocks field, Fry gadgets mm. to this to this community owned library. Um, so yeah, that's like aligned with our philosophy a lot. Um, yeah, that's on the ZK side. Cool. I want to check the naming really quickly. Halo 2 CE. Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. What does that stand for? Community? Edition. Edition. Okay. Yes. And this is, is this sort of like, I mean, is this the, the work that like PSE, the, what is it? Privacy and Scaling Explorations Group from the EF and Xerox Park had been kind of like championing or is there one track? Is it yours? Like, did it also branch out into other ones? So originally we are using a fork uh, of Halo 2 and the upstream is in the like PSE's uh, GitHub library. Uh, and we, we just changed the, the polynomial commitment part from the inner product argument to KDG. But then we want to make this more modular and shared by even more projects. So there depends on like, you know, a, a separate organization called Halo2CE and there will be more projects contributing to this library, like for them, Axum and some other like, you know, projects are contributing to this. Mm -hmm. And we are leading some kind of more open discussions about how we can improve this library. So initially it starts with, we, we want to build the KVM, we want to use KDG, so we, we use this fork. And then we want to make this more modular and uh, like more people can use that. So that's how it's branched out. How do you sort of split your time in that regard? Like as a development, like you're developing like something, you have a goal, but at the same time, there's like a lot of research and work that could potentially contribute to other projects. Like, would you say you as a research team are like super focused just on the things that you need? Or do you think it's a little bit more fluid? It sounds like you're also contributing just kind of more generally. Yeah, I think our philosophy is like trying to support open source and a more community driven and a shared shared like tooling stack. So we are happy to kind of either contribute to this like shared 
uh, infrastructure and even upstream to to the Halo Two upstream, which is initially developed by Zcash. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, we we definitely like spend a lot of effort on like how we can uh, like maximum like different projects like you know progress compatibility and also like because it also enhances our security right because if many people are like reusing a same proving stack like there will be more people more eyes looking into your code base and review mm-hmm. and you also get a yeah. share like you know yeah so that's our philosophy that's such a that's actually an interesting um incentive there the idea that like you may actually just want to make something more general to be used by more people yes. so that people try to break it <laughs> early right <Exactly. laughs> Um, I feel like there's been some chats actually in the ZK channels right now about like security of some of the systems that a lot of things are being built on. And I do think if you can have more eyes on it, obviously that's a really good way to like hopefully spot bugs early. You talked a little bit about the GPU implementation. This is for the verifier or the prover? Oh, this is for the the prover, right? How you can make prover generate proof faster. And when you talk about a GPU implementation, is this different from the rest of your tech stack? Is this like some like lower level, like how to better interact with a GPU? And I guess the second question is, to this is like, do most rollups in ZK EVM teams need to do that? Because I don't think I've really heard about like the teams themselves working on the hardware. So you can imagine that, you know, when you are running your algorithm initially on CPU, for example, it takes like one hour to generate the proof. And you, you mm-hmm. think it's, it's, it's too slow and you want to, to you, you utilize the parallelism inside your proving algorithm. So you incorporate the GPU into your like CPU device and uh, like, you know, it's just connected. And then you will outsource some very expensive computation to the GPU. And GPU is very good for doing some parallelization work. And it, it mm-hmm. can do that very well. And the most computational heavy part inside the prover uh, is parallelizable. So it's very easy to carry that on GPU. It can make, you know, become like 10 times faster. So you are basically, the high level idea is that you move the most computational intensive part to GPU mm-hmm. and the GPU can make okay. that faster. That's what you're doing, like on the software side. You've made yes. the decision what needs to be used by GPU yes, and what isn't. Exactly. But are you actually dealing with like how the GPU processes it as well? Yes, yes. We also need okay. to implement like how you kind of run this on GPU. You need to design the kernel, implement using CUDA. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah, then I guess the second part of that question is, is that something that a lot of ZKVM teams need to be doing? Or is it because you had this background in hardware? that we talked about in the last episode, that you were like, oh, we're going to also do this hardware part. Yeah, uh, I think for GPU, it can make all the ZKVM become faster. But I think okay. currently, currently, from what I know, most ZKVM teams are using GPUs, but some, some don't need, uh, because it depends on like your proving algorithm. Uh, if you heavily rely on some kind of uh, curve-based operation, uh, which can be massively parallelizable, and uh, can be considered really fast on GPU. But if you are relying on more like smaller field hash function, then maybe you can run that on CPU efficiently. But I think overall, uh, if you have a GPU, uh, it can always be faster in most cases. Okay. So I guess most of the ZKVM teams, if not building it themselves, will be using some sort of open source yes, version yes. of this because yes. it's kind of an inevitable thing. Do you feel yes. like this is just part of the engineering challenge in general? Like th- this is where you can get some improvements, so you will inevitably want to go for it? Yeah, I think it's definitely part of the engineering effort. But also like one direction we are working on this, which is also aligned with our like decentralization philosophy that we want to reduce the requirement for uh, like, you know, for for example, the memory requirement for, for GPU, and we are trying to lower that requirement. For example, like maybe miners, because people believe that you will move from proof of work, you will have a bunch of GPUs. And one direction might mm-hmm. be how we can adapt our algorithm and generalize this, this algorithm a bit and to adapt to other cheaper GPUs so they can still reuse their machines to run our proving algorithm. Like I've done a few episodes recently on hardware, uh, kind of looking through the lens of the ZPrize efforts. Do you feel like, do you expect sort of just like a standard for how GPUs and ZKPs are going to be used? Or do you think that there's still a lot of room to like develop unique solutions there? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends on the algorithm. I think eventually it will become a problem which involves software and hardware code design. So for example, like, you know, recently people are really crazy about Nova 
and uh, you mm -hmm. might need some special <laughs> components for making Nova faster. So because the proving algorithm keep you know involving, so it's very hard mm -hmm. to say that you know oh this is your final you know yeah, yeah, yeah. version of, of of GPU. But I think most algorithms are reusing uh, almost the same like primitives like uh, FFT. Uh, multi-exponentiation and some com vector mm -hmm. level computation, maybe some hash function. So I think the large modules are fixed. But if you really want good performance, you need to turn like you know the, the workflow and for your for your proof system. So I think that haven't been fixed. It depends on your software stack. So eventually yeah, it will yeah. become, I think, a software and a hardware call design problem. But then do you think it won't be GPU and you'll just like move towards FPGA and then ASIC? Like just if if it becomes a little bit more you know, yeah. If, I, if, I think if, if even you can like figure out which things you need to focus on, could you start to go in that direction? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but I think in our current version, we are still more bullish on like using GPU for short term because firstly, like okay. people have more uh, like general purpose GPUs in house and they can run prover without buying like expensive FPGA and ASIC. And also, one interesting observation from our conversation with different hardware company that uh, single board FPGA it's very hard to beat GPU performance. You have to connect many FPGA boards together to beat one GPU performance. And ASIC might be better. So long term, it might be ASIC. You know, if if you are like kind of having one protocol become dominant ZK protocol and there are ASIC for this protocol, then that might be a best combination. But now, like because the algorithm hasn't been fixed and the GPU is still general purpose, people can buy that. And uh, so I yeah, think yeah, yeah. short term we are still more. Sandy, I want to sort of ask you a little bit about the kind of ecosystem and like scroll world since, I mean, you weren't on the last episode, but like since maybe you started when you first founded the company, was it just the three of you or was there already a team? And like, yeah, how has kind of the, the world around scroll evolved? Um, I would say day one, it was just the three of us. And, um, but the snowball effect happened very quickly. Um, and I think the first turning point was when, um, you know, I think as Ye mentioned that when when PSC team when when Barry supported started supporting the project, and we very mm. much became a global community effort overnight. And uh, having that, you know, very strong partnership meant that we're able to scale and um, gather resources in a way that wouldn't be possible otherwise. And then I think the second turning point was when we started having an MVP and when our vision started become clearer. And the vision was to build a product that mirrors the developer experience on Ethereum layer one as much as technically feasible. And um, once that positioning is clear, it started attracting more and more talents who are like-minded and who also sees the same vision. I think I think the, the the wider vision is that well, we're in the first of nine innings of the you know global you know if, if we think blockchain will be the value layer of the internet, um, then we're in the first of nine innings, and if we're able to kind of have the leg up of inheriting all the tooling and all the great things that have been built on Ethereum over the last few years, then we're off to a we're off to a good start, but it's still a start. So I think once that mm. vision is um, well articulated and um, you know shared within the wider Ethereum researcher and developer community, we started to see a effect where people are applying to scroll and people are reaching out to us on Twitter. And I think from early on, um, we had this policy to hire the best talent globally. So you're not restricted by where you live and you're not restricted by, um, you know, your your identity and um, obviously we do KYC on anyone that joins us full time but essentially we started building this culture of like hiring straight from Twitter and hiring straight from Discord Whoa. and and that yeah. was very energizing um, for a lot of our community members who can see people who act actively contributed to open source research so this is kind of uh, I think one thing I often explain to Web2 people how Scroll has grown so quickly in Head of Headcount is that you know the great companies 
companies from 10 years ago, all built from a very kind of employee corporate structure. But now we're very much a kind of, you know, we need to articulate our vision and set up in a way that anyone can see what we're building kind of week to week and anyone can mm-hmm. catch up and contribute as they as they wish. And if someone does have value add to to the process, then we'll bring them into the onto the core team and train them and equip them with whatever they need to like succeed in this endeavor. So I think that's mm. how we quickly scaled. And um, we have a 40 plus engineering team now. And I think it's, wow. it's very difficult to find ZK engineers and especially ones with prior experience. And um, and I think that's that's very much due to, you know, the you know, one is the, the, the vision and the architecture that yeah has so articulate has so well articulated. Another thing goes to kind of high sensibility to, you know, run an agile process, run a global development engineering team and um, and, and making sure everyone is, you know, well supported to work on this really. Yeah. How do you do that? Like especially if you're because yeah, you were you're more. I, I think of you a little bit more on the research side. Yes. Is Hai Chen more on the engineering side? Yes, exactly. Hai Chen is leading our engineering team, and I'm more on the research side, both CK and protocol research. If you're like getting kind of contributors in, are you growing in a very like flat way, or is it sort of like you're starting to create these structures? Yeah, I'm just curious how you do it. Because like, I guess how how big were you last year? I think last year when we talk, it's around like. It's still like 30 or something, researcher, engineer, but it's okay, like... Okay, you've grown yeah. by 10. Okay, so it's not too much, too crazy. Yeah, but right. that's only on the technical But part. maybe just from that starting point to that. Yeah, like from that starting point of just like a very small team to the 30 or to the 40. Actually, I think there's a lot of teams out there who could really, like who potentially really want to know how you did that because I think there's sometimes... Um, it's hard to maybe create those structures on the fly as you're going really quickly. Um, we have lots of mini teams. It's not like, you know, there's the ZK EVM team that, that collaborates with the PSC very closely. And then there's the infra okay. team. And then um, the, 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 the hardware team is part of the infra team that talks very closely to them. And we try not to have teams that are across more than two time zones in order to make, make sure everyone has a good work-life balance. And um, Interesting. We're, all start, we're also starting to have some kind of regional um, kind of city offices. So we don't have any city where there are more than three scrollers right now, but we're starting, we have three in New York and we have three in San Francisco. So we're in the process of setting up like many kind of co-work offices and we're hoping, you know, that at least in New York, one has proven to be a, a reasonable kind of hub for ZK researchers to stop by and hang out. Mm-hmm. And um, we're hoping to have more of these types of kind of pop-up offices everywhere. Nice. Um, yay, on that research front that you're kind of more in, would you say, like you have your inner team, the folks that are on the scroll team, but I feel like you must, I mean, you, I've seen you actually collaborating with lots of different groups. How does that all work? And like, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like how much of the new research are you letting in? Like, is there a point where you have to kind of cap it and say like, we can't do any more changes. We can't add any more of the like cool new stuff. Or are you, do you feel like it's still very, very fluid? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like there was two questions in there. Sorry. <laughs> there, was like, there was like, what's it like working with other researchers outside and inside? And then there's, yeah, how are you incorporating new research? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, so the way like we are, we are like operating on the research team is that we define some larger scopes. For example, like there is Ziki research, working on like more efficient prover, more efficient aggregation. And uh, we are definitely looking into like new constructions. Like recently people get Nova peeled and how thinking about how we can move some primitives to Nova and combine integrity in our current system. Um, So that's on the Ziki research side. On the protocol research side, uh, we are looking to, for example, decentralization of prover and the sequencer, the mechanism design between and how we handle MEV and also like how we use multi-prover to include the security. And maybe eventually mm-hmm. when we, like, you know, when Ethereum move to like dank sharding, uh, we will be bottlenecked by this execution. We are looking to eventualization and more efficient client implementation. So they are actually, and also like some resource pricing for, for layer two. So there are some large scopes there. We are always looking to what's a problem we are going to solve in one year or, or two years. So we're actively working on that. But, you know, 
you also mentioned there is a product going on. There is like, you know, you always yeah, need yeah. to launch some stable version. You need audit, you need stable. So totally. we will have multiple versions. And in this, uh, in this like recent version, you have stable branch, which engineering engineers are mostly working on. And they are looking to more stabilize and battle, like, you know, battle tested, well audited as our version one. And then in the next version, we'll think about how we can like kind of merge those different research results into mm -hmm. those kind of uh, our current version and how they can integrate with our system and what's a kind of change a part we need to audit and how we kind of coordinate across different teams. So it's it's more like, you know, even for Ethereum, it has EIPs, it has like small changes to make that um, works and in the next version. So we will also have versioning. And uh, so it's like, Version one, it will be very stable, sound, and complete the mm -hmm. KVM. But the next version might be like, you know, we make some tricks, we change the, the pooling algorithm a little bit, and then like make that even faster. So, yeah. Cool. I want to talk about, so this sort of speaks also to the sharing of research, but like the competitive landscape. Last summer in, I think at ETCC, there was like all the announcements of ZK EVMs right? It was like the week of ZK EVMs. And I remember that like, at least the scroll ZK EVM uh, announcement, I think you kind of put yourselves on the stage with that. I think a lot of people didn't really know about what you were doing. And I feel like this was kind of like an opener. How has that changed? Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing on the competitive landscape. Um, I think I would probably challenge the framing that all L2s are competing in some fundamental sense. Okay. I don't think this is a productive way to think about the space. We were never thinking about the competition when we did the initial testnet launch, and we're, we're not thinking about it now. Um, what has changed is that we're, we're more and more confident with our testnet results. Our, our testnet with Proofs have been running for a few months, and, um, and we can talk more about the roadmap and what we've learned since the Paris announcement. Um, but you know, taking a step back, I think that the, the fundamental view is that there are still very few users in the space. So there are like 2.5 billion monthly active users on Instagram, for example, and that's just mm -hmm. one single app. And, oh and there are God. 5 billion <laughs> active internet users in the world. So I think yeah. crypto as a whole probably has about like a million active users. And, 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 and even that is being very generous with, you know, what we believe mm -hmm. to be users in terms of definition. So if we believe in a feature that has potentially a thousand X users, then does it really make sense to think about like competition endlessly? Um, I think yeah. we're all just kind of, you know, in the first of nine innings. And, and, and I think the real um, landscape is that um, the, the, you know, the, the space to be gained is so large and the design space for infrastructure to tackle is also incredibly large. Like the feedback we've had are from a very, very small subset of the internet population. Mm -hmm. And whether that's real or true and whether that's like enough for like a real world testing, that, that's still like, you know, can be can be somewhat called into question. Um, so I think, and, and also another thing that's changing that's not related to the L2 space in particular, but in the wider internet space, it's just that, you know, the definition of user and developer have been framed very differently so far in the crypto teapot. In, in the crypto mm -hmm. bubble, these two categories are framed very differently. But in the real world, you know, every user in the world will eventually become a developer because of natural language that can be used to produce functional, you know, pro programmatic instructions. And so, so the line between these two are blurring. And the number of active developers, you know, like dApps and infras and so on, is about 100K in the space. And once again, that, that can easily double or 10X because of this particular mm -hmm. change that's parallel to the crypto-like universe. And so, you know, we don't believe we're in competition with anyone. I think the landscape is still evolving very rapidly. And um, we care about our users and, and we're building and yeah. we're set up for longevity and for impact. And, um, you know, we actually pay very little attention to what the next L2 is doing. But overall, I think having more participants in the space is very bullish for Ethereum and it allows for more experimentation. And that's a good lesson for all of us. And mm. um, and I think one thing that, you know, even if there are like hundreds of roll ups, you know, when, when we go on the call again, is that I think amongst all the roll ups, um, 
I think legitimacy is the only thing that truly matters when you're mm-hmm. thinking about trusting your life savings or trusting your assets or, or value to a network. At the end of the day, um, I think the sense of like security and trust and legitimacy, um, although these are like very ambiguous terms, but but what you trust. A network to kind of put your life savings to it. It's a very nuanced and multifaceted thing. It it has a lot to do with the development strategy, and um, you know the trust you can build and maintain, and the systematic things you set up, and 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 I think it ties a lot into the core values like you know decentralization, security, and like well thought out design principles, etc. So mm-hmm. I think we're on this in the process of figuring out like w- what that is exactly. I really like what you just said and the the sort of focus more on the collaborative part or growing the pie instead of trying to split the pie. I, I still think in the space there is a competitive nature. Some teams, I think, are already at least competing on the marketing front. Do you see any benefit in that? Like, it, it sounds like your strategy is to definitely focus on collaboration, but like, do you think it also brings a bit of attention that might actually be good? Um, I think any attention to the L2 space is is you know net good for the for the world as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. I think the fact that we're seeing like you know um, centralized exchanges now issuing L2s rather than their own L1s is a move in the positive direction. It's a sign of the wider crypto ecosystem adapting to the mindset that L2 is the way forward to is the way for scaling. And um, so anything mm-hmm. that moves people away from the alt one rotation trap, I think is a is a is a good step forward. And I think any kind of marketing in that sense um, is is positive. It's interesting. I just I have a question. Like I feel like the scroll project is born so deeply and with within Ethereum, but have you as a team paid any attention to Cosmos or like the Polkadot models? Like any of these other sort of like networks where they have the connectivity through different ways? I mean, I know the project is very Ethereum. Is there any cross-pollination of like ideas between those ecosystems and Ethereum? Um, I would say I learned a lot from the Polkadot ecosystem in the sense that I think there is a culture of putting developer first. And I think that's also part of the Ethereum culture as well. And, and you know, the things that made Polkadot so successful, we're also keen to kind of learn from those lessons and, and, and do the same for Scroll, just putting developer first and being steadfast and being a, a kind of friend on the developer to, to founder journey as well. Um, mm-hmm. from, from the, from the Polkadot ecosystem, I think there's also a lot to learn. Um, I think the lesson there is that certain projects have specific needs and, um, and, and sometimes they, they, they would like to share economics at the protocol level. And I think these narratives are yet to be played out. But one thing that keeps me building in the Ethereum ecosystem is that if I, if I have to spend a day figuring out how to bridge stable coins into any new L1s, then I'm going to give up. And I think that applies to both of these things, um, both of these ecosystems. That That's my test on how long or, or whether I should kind of consider seriously like spending a significant amount of time or, or resources on, on any ecosystem. So, un- mm. so, so that ties into the second point, I think, is a... It's a value that, that that we try to kind of prioritize as scroll, which is just putting developer and, and also user experience first and making it as accessible as possible. So, um, you know, the, hopefully the, the, the process of bridging stable coins onto scroll will be, you know, a lot easier than, than you know, you would for Polkadot and Interesting. Cosmos. I, I kind of want to ask a bit about how you envision the scroll roll-up looking do you actually imagine it as a single instantiation or do you almost like, could it be that there's like multiples of it for different uses? I don't know if that's like a roadmap thing or if that's even something that's been thought of. Like currently, are you just thinking about it as like a single version that like that's where you want all of the dApps to live? Okay, I, I can talk a little bit more from the, the technical perspective. So I think we start with like you know solving the problem of Ethereum because Ethereum is congested, ex- expensive. So that's why mm-hmm. we want to build a platform that can solve this problem. Like you know all the transactions, all the applications can deploy here and cheaper, faster throughput, and enhance the security. So that's the starting point. And uh, I believe that a layer. So imagine that in in five years, like you know 
because you know layer one will be even more expensive and uh, all the interactions with the ECM application will be moved to layer two. And because layer two as a network has this strong network effect for, you know, application have this dependency and how many users you have. So I think there will be like very few layer twos who will be general purpose and lying on ECM directly. And then there might be some other chances to kind of build their protocols on top of layer two, either as, as layer three or some more ah. creative form. We, we don't commit to any future because, you know, it's like yeah, yeah, even yeah. layer three is a new concept proposed by people. Mm -hmm. We are not making like any any choice among like, you know, we have to think future is like one layer two, multiple layer threes, but we are thinking something like more creative. Maybe there are some other form like, you know, can also extend our layer two, but we believe that as a layer two, we should, you know, firstly inherit all the kind of, uh, not only from the technical perspective, we inherit the security, uh, we are we are, we are are cheaper with a higher throughput, but we also want to inherit this kind of legitimacy, this branding of Ethereum, because all the users will interact through layer two. We want to kind of mm -hmm. keep this spirit to be the same. And then like more people can bring like build more creative stuff on top of scroll, um, you know, like cheaper miner and, but still like different teams are betting on different future. Um, but we are still like looking to what's a, you know, because also like, again, like many, many futures are like, you know, people are talking about this future, but they are hand waving about the technical details. We are thinking mm -hmm. more in the long term that we propose something which is technically feasible. And also it's, it's good for building like the entire, like, you know, it's almost like an entire country and then like people can build their own like island or cities on, on top of scroll. On top of it. So, yeah. But you don't imagine deploying two scrolls. That was kind of what I'm wondering is like, just generally, like with once you build the stack, you could, right? Like you yeah. have all the software, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I guess there's no real use case for that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people can still fork, fork our code base for fork ZK yeah. VM and launch their new ZK rollup. But again, like it back to the question, like when Sandy mentioned, when there are the hundreds of rollup, like you know, including all the forks and the legitimacy and uh, the trust you build for certain layer two will be, you know, the biggest issue, like biggest reason why people choose you. And then there will be a mm -hmm. like massive network effect why people will choose build on you. And also because we are building a Ziki VM, which are general purpose uh, Ziki ROA platform. So we are not targeting at specific use cases. Mm -hmm. So all the applications will, will, will deploy on us. And also like, especially specifically for, for some DeFi, like they, they need this composability. So which means it's, it's hard to kind of launch many app chains and having the same composability, same UI and UX for users. So that's why we believe that there will be some dominant layer tools with strong network effect. And then like, you know, even if other people are forking, they need to have their own feature, maybe tailored for mm -hmm. specific applications. But we believe that's yeah, yeah. part of like, you know, scroll family instead of something in parallel. Got it. And that that's actually sort of what I, I'm trying to sort of envision, this is like a very general, like roll up future kind of vision, but like, do you sort of picture these like large generalized L2s being few and far between, but then smaller L2s still attached potentially to the main chain, the L1, that are specialized? And then obviously on these larger L2s, you could also have that L3 in certain cases. But I wonder like, is that sort of what you envision? Like, has have people talked about that? I think all the people are envisioning like a similar future, either like multiple layer two, multiple layer three, like build on top of each other. Uh, but again, like, you know, I, I think our point is that um, we are still doing more technical assessment for how practical this is and what's the interoperability, for example, between layer threes and what's the benefits you get from there. And uh, so we, we think there might be even be some more creative format, even like not layer three, not layer two, but maybe some more creative thing like in between to build a future. I think no one can re is 100% that the future is look like this. But there are like mm -hmm. some reasoning behind like having layer threes on top of layer two. For example, like imagine that if all the activity are happening on layer three, people need to deposit and withdraw. They also want to do this cheaply on their base chain, right? If you do this, for example, mm -hmm. if you build some special application as a layer two, and then like your deposit and withdraw is also, unless you have some way to have this kind of user want to leave put all their money on your platform. So unless you are very attractive that user want to kind of deposit and withdraw very frequently, then like most application will do this still 
and if you are building layer two, then this will be very expensive. And if you are layer two, then like you know, it's it's. You're saying if you build on expensive. L1, it would be very yes, expensive, yes. right? Oh, yes, so you just yes. Said and if you are building yeah. on building your layer three on uh, on layer two, then like your deposit and withdrawal will become much more uh, like cheaper. And also like Got you it. know, b- because people have the reason to put their money on layer two. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you know, but but if 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 you know for your for your own application, people are just you know interacting and playing with that for a while, and then like they still need to like you know do this interaction with the base chain very frequently, which will become problematic. Yeah, and also I think if you imagine the future to be all the applications on layer two, then like you know it's beneficial for layer three to launch on layer two to kind of directly. Get the users, get the liquidity yeah. on layer two, and uh, build some featured applications. Mm. Yeah, there are already been some experimental like layer three deploying on scroll, and also that's what we we plan to support, like um, adding more verification algorithm, um, supporting that on our layer two to support more creative experiments. Mm. Do you actually do you ever look into things like eigenlayer or sort of the DA levels? Like, is that something? Because that is sort of being built for the EVM, the the L2s, right? In a way? Yeah, 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 yeah. In a way that technically, like, you know, if you use use other DA solutions, it can be cheaper in some sense, but they are still... Oh, by the way, like, by DA, we mean data availability. <laughs> sort of, should have said data availability, yeah, DA, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, data availability, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for explanation, okay. So, yeah, so I think for, for us, for our own purpose, because we believe that as a layer two platform, we want to inherit all the security properties of, of Ethereum. So that's why we decided to post our data onto layer one to maintain the same security. Because whatever the the DA solution you are using, there will always be trade-off. Like, you know, for example, like mm-hmm. if you become a validator, uh, like, and you, you restake across different platforms, there might be some risk for kind of, you know, if one platform has some problem, then it brings some systematic uh, security issues. So I think for us, we just want to stick to this very traditional model to inherit all the security models and become like by definition a roll up. Because there are some like interesting d- d- debates also around what's your definition for roll up. And I think it uh, a more popular opinion is that you post your data onto ECM and uh, let ECM decide which is your um, canonic chain. And uh, so which that's the reason why I believe posting this data on chain will always bring you are like highly, highly security. And uh, maybe for some other applications, depending on the scroll, they can decide by their own community, either they want to have their own DA solution or running their own sequencer. So that's another reason why people want to launch their layer three. They want to have some kind of, yeah, like governance over this mm. process. Yeah. As you describe all this though, all I can think of is like the bridging between the different L2s. And I think in when I first had when we were first talking about this, I always imagined almost like a one-to-one, like these little bridges, but I feel like there are newer solutions now kind of emerging. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you picture, like, do do you still imagine people actually using the L1 as the transaction layer, or do you actually imagine the L2s kind of speaking more to each other? Yeah, I, I expect layer two speaking to each other, but I think it's almost the same hard to build bridges between different layer ones, like even if you are sharing the same. I think people have the impression that, you know, if you are building a bridge between two different layer ones, um, and uh, th- that's one kind of bridge. And if you are building bridges between like, you know, yeah. if you are sharing one layer one, you build multiple layer twos and layer twos bridging might be easier. But in fact, it's still very hard to kind of bridge between layer twos. I think, so uh, I think my prediction is that because all the transaction, all the activities will move to layer two. So that's the reason why I think bridging between layer two will be more frequent, but it's still almost the same hard to build bridges between different layer two, because still, even if you lie, you, you, there are some ideas like where, because all your state route will be posted on the same layer one, there might be some way that you can read data from state root and prove that, you know, but it still, you know, takes a, either takes a longer time to generate proof or you don't have very great kind of atomic interoperability. So I think it's still hard. I think mm. it's still a, like unexplored like space. And uh, so people are still doing more experimentation there. What about bridging that isn't token bridging, but rather just like message passing? Because I know there's like some really interesting things around that. Yeah, uh, I think my uh, my own prediction for this is that 
because arbitrary messaging is even harder than just token bridging because yeah, <laughs> really? yeah, because because okay. you can like make your kind of token transfer because it's there's more yeah, because things because you can make your token yeah. transfer become part of your arbitrary message right like if you want to kind of yeah, send true, some, true. some token to another layer two it's kind of part of your message right so it's i think it's even harder especially mm-hmm. if it's like a a smart contract function call or whatever so yeah oh that's that's interesting I want to talk a little bit about, I kind of want to revisit the ecosystem topic and, you know, the connection now that Scroll is a standalone project with a team, it was grown out of the PSC group or like it was, you know, connected to the Ethereum Foundation and stuff like that. But what is the rapport? What's the relationship? Like, does Ethereum support anything in Scroll? And then I also kind of want to ask about uh, Xerox Park, if there's anything, because I, I know that like, at least in terms of the libraries, there's a lot of overlap. Are there any sort of like, yeah, clear collaborations between those three groups, yourselves and PSE and Xerox Park? Yeah, I think, yeah, because part of our philosophy is like developing the open source way. And we are really grateful for all the contributions from this community. Um, and there are several like open source collaborators we have been working with, as you mentioned, like the PSE team. And we have been co-building the Ziki VM um, over the same code base for nearly two years, and uh, we, we derive into uh, like our layer to the KVM, but we are also helping them to build a ECM equivalent the KVM for, for ECM. So that's the, the relationship is pure, like uh, it's, we are in the same community, pushing the same dream. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's the, the relationship and we start together and we, we have been like long-term collaboration. And I think for Xerox Park, I think we, yeah. we hosted many workshops around our toolings. So that's why you see a lot of overlaps and why people are reusing the same tooling. Yeah, yeah. Because we have done a lot of like workshops with them, um, teaching like people how to write Halo 2 circuits since early last year. And also we give lectures about like proving cost and uh, our Zikimia th- circularization. So it has some impact for, you know, the candidates there, like why they, they choose this library. And I think education, they definitely super important for like why people are using this tooling instead of because you just get more tutorials and more help like when you bootstrap this yeah i think yeah i think our relationship is more like you know we believe in the same goal we are widely aligned and we believe Mm -hmm. in this open source and so that's why we we came together and sharing some educational resources and discuss and more recently there will be a lot of discussions about new proving systems like folding supernova paranova hypernova like you know it's you know we find something cool together (laughs) and then we are excited to see like how far it can go and uh, we we also want to support this ecosystem and this community grow as much as we can like how people are like using this and Mm. how it can intervene to our system I personally just really love watching and seeing how these ideas are developed, like how like some very compelling proving system or new research is introduced and then you see a tutorial or someone wants to teach about it. And I think the Nova example is a great one because, I mean, it was almost a year ago that Justin Drake was like, I want to do, he wanted to do a whiteboard session about Nova. And I didn't know what that was at all. And, but now you can see like, at least in the sort of, PSE, Xerox Park, and you guys, like you see this sort of like, there's a lot of people who are really excited about it. And now you see that also spreading too. I know Ariel got Nova pilled recently. And like, (laughs) there's like new kind of, there's people who are getting introduced to these ideas. Um, And then it's interesting to watch that happen and the material that gets created. But it's also sort of interesting to see like, why are there proving systems that also might be really compelling, aren't quite getting the mind share. And like, as there are more groups popping up, because I don't know if you've noticed, but like there's new ZK everything every time, like every week there's like a new ZK newsletter, a new ZK event. And that's awesome. And I do wonder if we're going to see sort of these like areas of research, these sort of like clusters almost of shared research. I think this is one and it's really fascinating and kind of amazing to see it in action. That was my little community take there. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think part of our philosophy is like, you know, we want to geographically extend this Ziki community to everywhere. I think Sandy, I have more to say about like yeah. how we build this kind of Ziki community around every corner of the world and how we spread this kind of information because through education and through some other local events. Yeah, no, I, I was going to add to that and say, I think, you know, any team essentially that is um, you know, aligned with the open source culture and focused on public education can join part of this development process. It's not definitely not exclusive mm-hmm. to scroll, 
PSE and Xerox Park, um, and and you can see a lot of amazing zk researchers, um, you know, as as a part of this group that are expanding, um, you know, whether it's new folding schemes or or, or Nova and um, trying to. But 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 I think the the starting point is that there is a critical mass of projects and and researchers and project um, and, and 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 engineers who subscribe to this way of thinking, and we're hoping we're one of the mm-hmm. factors that makes this kind of uh, philosophy more widespread amongst the wider ecosystem. So the idea that you have to build everything yourself or, or like hold it back from other people, you have yeah, to keep, 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 keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that sort of mindset is, you know, slightly outdated and we want it to be like outdated mm-hmm. for the ZK world as a whole. Tell me a little bit about the roadmap for Scroll. Like, I think we've done a really good job of catching us up to hear what we what's happened in the last year. And I think, yeah, you did you teased sort of what was coming and stuff like that. But like, yeah, tell us a little bit about the roadmap. Where Where is Scroll at? You said there's test nets. Is there a launch date? Are you going to be careful, actually, like announcing launch dates? Yeah. Tell me what's up. Yeah, I can talk more on the technical roadmap and Sandy can talk a little bit more about our ecosystem building. Um, so on the technical side, uh, I think currently our first priority is that we are we will launch Manet soon. Uh, like everyone's talking about it. But okay. yeah. Yeah. Soon, TM. And, uh, so the okay. first priority is that we want to build a complete and sound ZK VM with a robust infrastructure, which means yeah. test of test of time and uh, like battle tested by all the community mm-hmm. members. For example, we our current test net have been like there are over like twenty million transactions. It's a very large number and over like one point five blocks, and uh, I think it run like four million addresses or something. Like it's like a lot of people are like actually playing with our testnet. So making that more robust, providing feedback. And uh, and also we are, we, we already send our mm-hmm. our circuit to the auditor. So that's our first priority, building something complete. And then next step will be decentralized prover. Um, so the point of decentralized prover is, is actually different from the like traditional point of decentralization, which is censorship resistant. But building a decentralized prover net actually has two biggest purpose. One is that make your network more resilient because prover needs a larger cost to, to run, right? Like people need to buy special like hardware maybe. And uh, if our prover goes down, then other people, there will be a bunch of backup who can still generate proof for you. Um, and also it can incentivize yeah. people to build better and better hardware. Like, you know, if you are incentivized to run a prover, mm-hmm. you are incentivized to make that more efficient to save your own money, right? Like, you know, it can make our network, mm. the, the, this kind of finalization time uh, on layer one proof generation time becomes smaller. And then next step will be decent sequencer. So even if, you know, uh, as a layer two, even if you are running a central sequencer, you still have some way to avoid kind of censorship resistant. For example, you can enforce some transaction on layer one yeah. to enforce that execution on layer two. But it's still good to have decent sequencer because there are some problem of real-time censorship. Like for example, you send, like you are going to be liquidating in one second and then I reject you. And then I will include this transaction in one hour, <gasps> which is still bad. So that's why like you want to have this. And also yeah. some regulation and also like depends on your philosophy for how you capture MUA value and uh, what this kind of yeah. value and mechanism, how, how that flow to, to different roles. I think that's the three biggest thing on our roadmap um, on the technical side. Yeah. With a with a very quick side question here, with a non-decentralized sequencer, does that sequencer collect all the MEV pretty much? Is it sort of like an unfair advantage to that sequencer? Yeah, it has this power to... Maybe not all MEV, but like a lot of it. Yeah, it, it has power to kind of collect all the MEV fees. It depends on like, you know, like whether you believe this layer two will kind of operate yeah, how you define badly it. or not. But yeah, currently like, you know... I don't think like any layer twos are purposely like leveraging this unique advantage to run MEV to run some bad things, but there are also good MEVs like like you know arbitrage to kind of make uh, like you know mm-hmm. balance your price and something like that. So, but but I think eventually all the layer twos are committed to decentralize in some sense. But it's just a very complicated design problem because you need to consider the yeah the, the value and uh, like how that flow. And uh, there will be a lot more things happening, uh, like not only decentralized prover and sequencer, but a lot more things also happening, like in our roadmap, um, which have, will happen in parallel, including some efficient client implementation. Like for example, we will think about uh, having multiple clients 
um, and having EVM parallelization, having that more efficient. And also we want to enhance our security through multi-prover. Um, and also like, you know, because Ethereum is also evolving, we are part of this large ecosystem. We need to think about like after they have, for example, in protocol PBS, which is short for product, like proposal builder separation. If they have this uh, infrastructure for concept abstraction, uh, which is 4337, and how we can engage and how we can maybe even overlap with this infrastructure. So that's a large problem, like how we can coordinate changes with Ethereum layer one. Because one important thing which differentiate mm. from other layer ones is that yeah. layer two can actually drive the changes of Ethereum layer one because we have the same goal to scale. So that's something like we are also thinking, okay. um, the talking with the Ethereum ecosystem and talking with the, the thought leaders and how we can collaborate in a more open way and uh, generate, you know, like generalize our research, post our research and uh, having more open discussion and even maybe in the future form some standard for all layer twos. We're really excited by how much interest we've gathered in the permissionless testnet that we've been running for the last few months. Um, as Yeh said, we have more than 4 million unique wallet addresses on Gourley, um, which I think is a, it's a meaningful number and um, it's very interesting and um, you know, that, that there's so much interest in a testnet. And, um, and also it gives us confidence that we're processing over half a million transactions on a daily basis. It means our code base is, it's been battle tested for about, uh, you know, more than four months now with no, you know, critical mm. failures. And um, there, there's still a, a ton of imp like uh, optimization to be done, but I think this is a very good basis and it gives us the confidence to start talking to um, protocols and ecosystem partners and, and, and gearing up for a, for a mainnet, as he has said. Um, so on, on one part where we're, we're trying really hard um, to onboard all of the tooling and infrastructure providers that are existing on Ethereum. So for them, the integration process should be no more than a day. Mm. Um, there is no difference from deploying on Ethereum layer one other than RPC. So it's a very quick process, and um, but there is a conversation to be had, and, and we're very actively having those conversations. On the other side, we've we've recently launched a, a permissionless kind of page for ecosystem projects to register them themselves, and to so that they can find each other, cool. and where any prep work is required to collaborate, they can use that as a forum. And um, within the first week, we've had over a hundred projects kind of um, submit their, their 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 information through this site, and um, and we're in the process of thinking about how to organize it a little bit better, um, and to provide like you know collaboration between various protocols and just bring a little bit of transparency. And on day one, I think users will be very interested in, you know, what are the things that they could play with? What are the things they could interact with? And um, we're trying to build a very good kind of streamlined user experience so that traffic can be directed to whatever kind of, you know, fun rides they want to play with, so to speak. What's the name of that website, by the way? Ah, so um, you can find it through um, the, I think the easiest way is to find the build with scroll handle on Twitter. Okay. Um, it's tagged on the main Twitter account and there's a form which you could um, kind of go into and then it's, it, it would be, I think it's linked to the main website. And, um, and I think over the last few months, we've been hosting a lot of kind of local you know, hackathons and also local meetups and, and mm -hmm. hacker houses. Yeah, you guys were also at ZK Hacklist. Yes, we actually. were. <laughs> <laughs> and there was there was a few projects built on Squirrel. I think there was the ZK ZK yes, rollup. There's a, this is, I guess, an L two. Yes, L3, that's a right? privacy L three. Yeah. Um, I think um, using uh, yeah using a lot of the the the, the Aztec. Um, tool stack, so that's very exciting, and oh, cool. um, yeah. So, so, so there's a, so, so, so I would say, um, you know, one thing that surprised me in this ecosystem building process is that there's a lot of organic zk DApps and zk implementations, and I think partly that's because of our our team's DNA in zk research, and so, so that's kind of you know through osmosis inspired a lot of you know zk engineers to build things that are adjacent to Scroll. Mm. 
And also on the other side, um, we have a, a very active group of grassroots developers. And, um, you know, they're just hacking away and thinking of new things to be built. And um, there's a there's almost like one, you know, one or two games popping up every other week. And I try to stay on top of what's happening and, and playing with them. Uh, but, you know, the, there's a lot of interesting native things that are being built and, and preparing for, for, for our for our mainnet launch. And, and also, mm. I think that there's a team that's working really, um, really hard on kind of bringing on the existing more well-known protocols onto Scroll. The idea is that we want Ethereum users who are familiar with certain brands and certain protocols to find um, things that they're familiar with and, and they already know how to use. So there's a sense of familiarity and then they can also find, you know, new adventures, like new protocols to, you know, play with and, and, and new games to interact with. Do you see gaming as one of the key spaces that you want to sort of develop in terms of like just, yeah, do you want more games, more yeah, blockchain games on there? Is that a focus category? In terms of product, we're building a generalized ZK EVM, so we don't have to choose. So we support everything. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the pros is that that means, you know, we offer something that's interoperable and um, something that can interact, you know, if someone were to build a um, GameFi project on Scroll, it's more interoperable with the DeFi stack and so and, and and vice versa. So I think that's the interesting thing. So we are seeing, you know, games as a whole, it's it's easier to build in a silo and it has less dependencies. And um, and I can see that being very popular amongst more uh, isolated kind of devs or, or studios that are more organized around a single um, game type or processes. Um, so, so so I think that I, I can see a lot of games happening organically as as a as a platform. Mm. We're just focused on building exactly the same platform infrastructure experience as Ethereum Layer One, which yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of games have been known to thrive in. <laughs> <laughs> got it cool maybe we could talk about hardware just very quickly i think um in terms of ecosystem building i think we're quite unique in the sense that there are like more than 10 hardware companies building solutions for scroll and um and i think that's like one one example of open source collaboration that's reaped or or, or energized the whole adjacent industry mm. Well, I want to say a big thank you to both of you for coming back on, well, to Ye, to coming back on the show, Sandy, for joining us on the show. It was really great to get a chance to find out what's been happening in Scroll this past yeah, year. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Nice to meet you again, Anna. <laughs> cool. And I want to say a big thank you to the podcast team, Henrik Jonas, who's editing this episode, uh, Rachel and Tanya, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.